Please join me in taking up your Bibles as I open mine, and you can open yours, to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. This shall be, good Lord willing, the final installment on Hebrews chapter 11. We'll begin reading this morning in verse 35. Hebrews 11, verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You pray with me this morning. Lord God, as we look to your word, we pray for a strengthening of our endurance. We pray that our faith would be a faith that pleases you and that endures to the end whatever that end may be. We do pray for that ability to trust in your promises in such a way that we are effective for the remainder of our lives before you and for your glory. Bless these words that you have penned and you have given to us. Bless this preacher who attempts to preach them well with understanding and bless your people with understanding that your word may do its work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the final installment of faith that pleases God. From Abel to these unnamed folks of faith. Faith that pleases God is courageous faith. We said last week, it is a courageous sort of faith that sustains all the way to the victories that God has ordained and planned. But this morning, we are going to look at faith that maintains even in defeats. We all want victory. Amen? We want to be a part of the team that overcomes the Midianites, the Philistines, the false prophets. Rarely do we want to be the ones who are killed by them for our faith. An old hymn is entitled, Faith is the Victory. Faith is the victory, it chants, that overcomes 
the world. The world in biblical parlance is a system of belief that is contrary to God. So whenever we use it in its theological sense, in its biblical sense, we are saying that there is a system in the world that we live in populated by people who do not believe in God who are following a philosophy, if you will, a false theology that denies God and wants to overcome him. They align with their leader, Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air and is the ruler of this world at the present time to overcome faith and faith in the faithful. Should we as Christians, I ask, we as followers of Jesus the Christ who follow by faith, should we only expect victories? Should we only expect victories from God, victories in the sense that we would want them as we walk this life with him? Should that be our expectation This text says no. The text I started reading was in chapter 11, verse 35, but as you recall from last week, we divided verse 35. And remember in the Greek there are no verse numbers. Women receive their dead raised to life. That's certainly a victory, amen? That's not what we're talking about today. We are on to this and others. And others. And others. These are marked out as those who were in faith through defeat. This text that we are looking at this morning describes four categories of those whose faith maintained them, even in defeats during the most difficult of circumstances. Faith that maintains. A lot of times we don't like the word maintenance, do we? I'm building a new house. <laughs> That's the fun part, isn't it? I'm building a new house. It's all new. But when you buy an old house, it must be maintained. Kind of goes along with mundane. Goes along with hard work. Struggle to keep it together, to prevent it from falling down. It looks like we're going to need a new roof. Oh, really? Yes. If you want the house to stand, it's got to have a good roof. Can I have an amen? You can lose the siding first, but if you lose the roof first, you've lost the house. And there are other things that come up in maintenance. 
But let me tell you something just about living in this world, even having the privilege of Vicki and I building a new house. It doesn't take very long upon moving into that new house that maintenance begins. I mean, you've got days, tops, and you're maintaining all over again. But it is that maintenance that goes through all of the trials, all the weather, all of the things that happen in the house, raising children who, in their exuberance, happen to accidentally, accidentally, put a door through the wall because you didn't put, when you were building that house, the doorknob blocker that keeps it from going through the sheetrock when they sling it open, running from one another etc. And the list goes on of things that will tear it apart and must be maintained. Courageous faith maintains even in defeat. Even in defeat. I take you back to the preceding chapter and its very end thought before we began to study chapter 11, the great faith and victory chapter. In verse 35 of Hebrews 11, we read, Therefore do not cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence. That's another way of saying don't lose your faith. Maintain your faith, which has great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of what? Endurance. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. To endure in victories is one thing, but to maintain even unto a final complete defeat is another thing. But it is of equal stature with faith. It is indeed a victory that overcomes the world system by refusing to capitulate, to give up that faith. So our study this morning, we'll see these four categories of faith maintained even in defeats. We need endurance. May I just say, just by way of a secondary introduction, you are all thinking people. I know you. You're students of the Word of God. You want to know your Bibles, but you're also keen observers of the world that you're walking in today. And I think this next year, 2024, is going to require of you Maintaining your faith through endurance. I think that there are tests coming that we have never had as tests in the United States for 150 plus years. I think there are tests coming that we have never had in the United States from its inception on. I am not the harbinger of 
a definite point of the beginning of the last days. But let me tell you this, the last days started when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And there have been less of those last days every day since. And as you read your Bibles and as you look at the world and what's happening in it, you are aware that things are not getting better. They're getting worse. That sin is breaking out in a massive way. And we, if we're going to maintain our faith, have got to learn to run this faith race with endurance. So in a sense, this is the commercial for chapter 12 and 13 that we are going to get to this year. It's wonderful to celebrate Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, all that we have studied here. And then there's the others. And others with no names given to them. No markers. I mean this person. I mean that person. This morning I'm going to give you some, but still I want you to keep this in a very general profile because this is, this is for us to watch in our age and be ready. And how we need to be ready and what will go into that is going to be laid out in chapters 12 and 13. And this is the preparation. End of second introduction. Courageous faith maintains even in defeats. Letter A, the first category are the tortured. The tortured maintained through faith. And others were tortured. This Greek word, tupanizo, tupanizo. Many of you are aware of one of the instruments that goes with a full orchestra in the percussion section. They're large. There's usually three of them. And they're shaped like giant kettles. And they're called timpanies. We get the word timpani from this Greek word that is translated tortured. It means to beat the drum or the timbrel. Both of these instruments have a skin that is stretched taut over an opening like a kettle that when you beat it, it makes the sound of a drum. So this word is used for torture, and it means the instrument of that torture or punishment. And it seems to have been a wheeled-shaped instrument of torture, over which criminals were stretched 
just like stretching hide over a drum until it is taut, and then beating them with large staves or drumsticks, if you will, or whips and scourges, or both. To horribly beat them with these clubs, to beat them like a drum. That's what this word means. And others were beaten like a drum. God's people, Israel, were called upon to keep the law of Moses. During the time of the Greeks, the great Seleucid emperor Antiochus Epiphanes had control of Syria, Persia, and also Israel and was constantly trying to take over Egypt. He was just on the cusp of seeing the Roman Empire rise and take control of Israel. And so Israel's still under the law. Jesus has not come. But Antiochus Epiphanes decided that the entirety of his lands needed to be ruled by a singular God. And since his background was Greek, Macedonian in particular, as his great-grandfather was one of the generals of Alexander the Great, he wanted his entire realm to worship Zeus. And so from the temple in Jerusalem, he removed the daily sacrifices to the Lord and he put a statue to Zeus. And he demanded that unclean animals like pigs would be sacrificed to Zeus. But just north of Jerusalem, there were these priests who decided they weren't going to do that. And... These were the Maccabees. Jacobus Maccabees, the priest, said, we won't do that. When the guy tried to make him do that, he killed the guy with a sword. And a war broke out between the Maccabeans and the empire of Antiochus Epiphanes from that point on. And there was a faithful scribe named Eliezer that is marked out in one of the apocryphal books as standing for the truth and his name was Eliezer. And he was taken captive at 90 years old, just shy of 90 years old and they put him on the tympanum. They stretched him across it and beat him like a drum. And he said from his position of torture, quote, I might have been saved from death. I am enduring terrible sufferings in my body under this beating, but in my soul I am glad. I am glad to suffer these things because I Fear him. 
our text says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. He could have gotten off the rack anytime he chose and stopped the torture if he simply would have failed to maintain his faith. During that very same period of times, a mother and seven brothers were tortured to death one after the other, yet they endured because they believed, 2 Maccabees 7, 9 says, in everlasting renewal of life. The Old Testament teaches the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is the instrument through which it will come for the Old Testament saint or the new. They endured torture, maintaining their faith in a promise for the future. And by all extent and by all the vision of the world, they were defeated. Group number two, we move from the tortured to the tried, to the tried. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Still other had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. Mocking, to be made fun of as though you have no sense. This happens all the time in our country toward those of you who are so foolish enough to believe in the one true God and in God the Son, Jesus Christ, and expect him to return for you and spread your gospel. The mockings. The scourgings means to be whipped not just with a single whip, but with a whip of many tails, often with bones or metal in the end of them to add a little extra zest to the torture. And yes, of chains and imprisonment. During the time of the kings, in 1 Kings chapter 22, we find Micaiah, Micaiah, a prophet. Evil King Ahab is the king reigning in Samaria. His evil wife Jezebel, you probably know even better than him. And no, I don't mean Ahab from Moby Dick. I mean Ahab, king of Israel, the northern tribes. He desires a good omen for a war he wants to perpetuate against Syria, his enemy, to take back one of the cities that they have taken from him. He calls upon good king Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, 
to join him, and Jehoshaphat foolishly joins in, but requests that rather than just ask the false prophets of Baal whether they will win or not, but to find a prophet of the Lord. He said, isn't there a prophet of Israel that we can inquire of? And reluctantly, King Ahab finds Micaiah, but he says, I don't like him because he doesn't prophesy in my favor. But they found him, and we pick up the reading in 1 Kings 22, verse 19. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by, excuse me, standing by on his right hand and on his left. That means the armies of God are gathered around him. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Ramoth-Gilead is the city they want to take back from the Syrians. So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. They have said you'll have the victory, but that's just because God let a lying spirit come to all your prophets, and disaster is proclaimed against you. Verse 24, now Zedekiah, the son of Kenaniah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit of the Lord go, go from me to speak to you? That is what we call a trial of mocking. He was mocking the prophecy that Micaiah had brought from the Lord and challenged that prophecy and struck him. Verse 25, and Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go to an, to an inner chamber to hide. Which, by the way, did happen. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king. Here's his reward for prophesying and delivering God's word. Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. He says I'll be defeated. You keep him in, in prison until I come back alive and victorious. Now look at this faith that maintains in defeat. The sentence has been delivered. You're going to jail. Now's the time. Do you maintain the faith and put a roof on that house of faith? Or do you let it fly off? Here's his answer. But Micaiah said, quote, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. The message is clear. God's going to defeat the armies of Israel 
and Judah together. And if you're wise, you people, you're going to listen to this and prepare by faith. Read your Bibles if you want to see what happened. I must move on. To the prophet Jeremiah, a reformer in Judah. Micaiah was a prophet to Israel, the northern ten tribes, and Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah in the very last days of the life of Judah in Jerusalem. He started his career with the good king Josiah, and they reformed and brought people back to worship God. But we pick his tale up in the latter stages of his life. Good King Josiah is dead and his evil sons have taken the throne. Babylon, the Chaldeans, are laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. But suddenly the Egyptians start coming out of Egypt. And so the Babylonians, the Chaldeans by another name, break off their siege to go and fight Pharaoh Necho by name. And so there was a feeling in Jerusalem they'd been delivered. Jeremiah had been told by God during the siege to buy more land. So they're about ready to be taken over by the Babylonians, and God commands Jeremiah the prophet to buy land in the country that is looking like it's going to be taken over by the Babylonians, meaning you're not going to keep this peace, pal. But I want you to be a witness that your people, after the captivity, will come back and possess that land again. And Jeremiah does it. So when the siege is lifted, he wants to go out and claim his land. He has to go there to claim it. And this is what happens to him. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Eriah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. A false accusation. But by the way, why does this make sense? It's because Jeremiah has been telling them the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord to Judah was this. Surrender to the Chaldeans. Surrender to the Babylonians. If you surrender, it will go well with you. I'll preserve you if you surrender. Now, I just want you to know that we sometimes have to put ourselves in their shoes. If somebody came to you today, said, I have the word from the Lord, and you all need to give up and go to China. How many friends would you make? Someone would say, traitor! Someone would say, hypocrite! Someone would say, you're no man of God! God will give us the victory. We're Israel. We would say that. We're from the USA. Are you crazy? The Chinese can't take us. God didn't tell us that. So they think he's defecting to the Chaldeans. 
Jeremiah said, false, I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he did not listen to him. So Uriah seized Jeremiah, brought him to the princes. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, Jeremiah remained there many days. Still others had trial of mockings, scourgings, of chains, and imprisonments. These are the others. We have seen the tortured. We've seen the tried, and now the terminated. The terminated. Verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Doubtful, tempted is in there, were slain with the sword. All of these are death pronouncements. By the way, the sawn in two seems to be historically a wooden saw. All I'm saying is, ouch. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were slain with the sword. I want to take you to two Zacharias, one before the exile for Israel's punishment and one after. Zechariah is first, the son of Jehoiada. Second Chronicles 24. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who stood above the people and said to them, quote, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. Verse 21 of Second Chronicles 24, So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of God. They stoned him in church. He brought the word of God to them in church, and they stoned him with stones in church. They had to go get rocks, bring them in, and throw them at him till he was crushed by the repeated bludgeon of the rocks. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look upon it and repay. I started in verse 20 of chapter 24 in Second Chronicles, but I want to take you to verse 19 to remind you of this. Sometimes you may look at the messages of the prophets as, as negative, as highly judgmental, as even harsh from God. But let me show you the purpose of these messages, and it's given to us in verse 19 of 2 Chronicles 24, when it says these words, Yet he, God, sent prophets to them to bring them back, to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. God's saying, repent 
or you're going to suffer the consequences, and they would not listen. Is God a good parent or a bad parent? A bad parent says, do what I tell you, and then when they don't, there's no consequences, so they continue to get more evil and more evil, and they destroy themselves. A good parent says, don't do that or there'll be consequences. And when they do it, then there are consequences, swift and sure, to bring them back in line with a way of life that leads to life, not death. Every prophet was sent to reform Israel, not to be a pain in their side. So Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, was stoned. In Matthew, we read about Zechariah, who wrote the book of Zechariah, a post-exilic prophet. This is not given to us in the Old Testament, but it is told to us by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 23 as a rebuke to the Pharisees of that day who were also rejecting he, Jesus, and his word. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, Jesus says, wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you will scourge in your synagogue and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, where did our book start, chapter 11, Hebrews, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar in church again. In the very temple of God, they struck down the messenger of God, and the judgment of God is upon them. If you skip down to verse 37, you see the true heart of Jesus, the Savior, the King of Israel, he who will be Lord and King in Jerusalem. He says these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not Willing. See, your house is left to you desolate because of the others. Because of the others. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were slain with the sword. John the Baptist, slain with the sword. John the Baptist, it's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was given the role of a Nazarite, anyone totally dedicated to God, who would be the herald of the Son of God, the King of Israel, of the line of David. And he had a message to go to Israel and proclaim the King that you have waited for, the Mashiach, the Messiah, is coming. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Repent, 
For the kingdom of heaven is near unto you. It is at hand. And he called them to righteousness and a baptism unto righteous living. From the least of the people in the land to the greatest people of the land, he called them to righteousness to prepare for the true king. And then he ran up against the king, Herod. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we read these words. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He said what everyone knew. You can't take the woman that's married to your brother and live with her as though she's your wife because that's against the law of God. I wonder how he maintained his faith. I wonder how we will. Can we say to this world that we live in, that there is marriage and it's between one man and one woman and what God has joined together, let no one pull asunder. It is not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman or a man and anything else or a woman and anything else. It is singular. The creator God said it that way. We must say it that way to deliver them from evil. And to make straight the paths of the Lord, for he is coming again. Will we be like John the Baptist and herald the coming of Christ? John the Baptist is gone. We yet remain. Our purpose is to proclaim his soon coming and to say, prepare your ways. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Jesus and be saved. If you do not, you will be destroyed in everlasting fire. That is a message of hope to those who will listen, but of judgment and eternal damnation to those who will not. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, he said to the king, listen to the way this went down in seeming defeat. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, he gave his kingly decree, he swore to her, quote, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now I'm thinking, ask for half the kingdom. That's what I'm thinking. But no, evil doesn't think that way. What's the problem here? We want to sin and there's someone blocking our way. And immediately she came in haste, uh, oh, excuse me, I skipped over something. And, and then so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, listen, the head of John the Baptist, so the one who was condemned for being in an adulterous relationship with someone not her own husband, she asked for the head of her accuser. 
And here's what happened. This is the truth. This is God's word. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist. Notice she added her own twist on a platter. We're having a feast. Let's have the head of John the Baptist, the herald of the king of Israel, God's son who has done miracles, his herald I want dead. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, in other words, they were watching, he couldn't now go back on it. He did not want to refuse her. Verse 37, excuse me, 27. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. La! Victory! Defeat. The herald of the king is beheaded at the behest of a dancing girl. For she pleased the king. Do you see your Christian life ending that way? I don't. Should we see our Christian life ending in that way? Perhaps we should if we're going to maintain our faith. Jesus said they hated who? Me. Therefore, he said, they shall hate you. You know what that means? Us. They didn't hate John the Baptist. They hated the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They hated his Father, the one true God. And so they killed John the Baptist, and then they killed the Son of God. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. The fourth category of the others, the detested. The detested. Verse 37, now the last portion. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins in the second half of the verse. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, listen, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These are people of faith. These are followers of God. These are listed in Hebrews in the faith chapter, yet not much time is given to them because we like the victories of Gideon better. And we don't prepare ourselves enough so that we might be ready if this is the lot God gives to us. It is one thing to have faith that sustains because we know God has said, I will give the Philistines into your hand. It is another thing to say, maintain your faith. I have given you into their hands. Which thing he did. There's an old song, I never promised you a rose garden. That's God's song to his church. 
He never promised us a rose garden. He never promised us that when you set up this new country called the United States of America, since all of you want religious liberty, that religious liberty is going to lead you onward and upward to take over the whole world for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they will all fall like dominoes between your spell-binding gospel messages and your purity of life that you will maintain through generations and you shall end the victor and then I'll come and set up my kingdom and pat you on the head and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Look what you have done. You don't even really need me. No, he said, no such thing. He said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And there will be wars and rumors of wars. And you will be imprisoned and you will be tried for your faith. Then the end will come. I think we're near the end. And the weakness of Christianity is all around us. It's in me, it's in you, and we better start bucking up if we're going to maintain our faith when it's tested. And it's only bucked up when we say it like it is. You will more likely be among the others than you will be among the ones who are given the great victory because the final victory belongs singularly to Jesus the Christ. He will bring the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith is in he who brings the victory over the world. They wandered because they were detested by the world in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, meaning having nothing, no financial ability, no houses, no properties. They were tormented who all saw them would feel free to torment them, to throw things at them, to abuse them, to steal whatever they'd had. They had no clothes. They had to make them from skins. Destitute wanderers. Destitute of all resources. It had happened in Israel to all the prophets under King Ahab. Elijah had prophesied. You're sinning, Israel. God has told me that at my word I can stop the rain. And so Elijah stopped the rain. Then God hid him as we studied last week and fed him by the brook and the raven, or gave him water by the brook and the ravens fed him. And during this time, Ahab starts searching for food because Israel's starving. And his close helper in, the, in his cabinet, you might say, of leadership called Obadiah, 1 Kings 18.3, was in charge of the house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. Sounds similar. It's like being in prison, only to save your life. They wandered in caves they slept. 
I have to go on because of time. Verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. The others. What does worthy mean? It means to be worth something. We get the idea of worship from its root, worth. Worthship. We worship God because he is worthy of that worship. This tells us that the world was not worthy of all of these categories of these people in these lists who have no names to them, though I've given them some so we can get perspective. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. They were the ostracized. They are the outcast. They are the ones that the world says they have no value to us. They're as good as dead. If you see one, you can do whatever you want to them. You can take whatever they have. They have no protection from anyone. But God says they're worthy. That they're worth more than the world in its entire system are those who maintained their faith though they had nothing left. Nothing. We are rich. Some of you might say, no, I'm not rich. I'm only getting by month to month. No, you are rich. You are privileged. You're Americans. And at this point, the government has been protecting you and God has been providing for you. But that is not a guarantee from God. What value do you put on your stuff? I've been asking myself this. I like turning the heat on in the winter. It's nice. It's going to be below zero here in a day or two. Let's practice. Let's not turn our heaters on. What do you say? You all laugh. I wasn't being funny. I am saying this to shock you into something that you go to your closets and they're full of clothes. You look at your shoes and how many do you have? I'll ask the men first and then I'll ask the ladies. Oh, we have hardly anything. What? Fried chicken again? We had that last night. We have no clue what destitute means. How can we prepare? By not holding on to this world so hard, so fast. You see, evil King Ahab could not measure up to Elijah. King Saul could not measure to the class of King David. The princes of Judah are worthless before the prophet Jeremiah. And King Herod was no match for John the Baptist. We have to value what God values, and he values our faith in him more than he values the stuff that we have, our wealth. And it might be the best thing in the world that ever happens to us. 
because of verse 39. And all these, this means from Abel to the others to hear, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. What should we value? God's testimony about us in our faith. That's the good testimony. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter ye into the kingdom of the Lord. After you die. You're not recipients of the promise yet. Neither were they. We are people that look to the future for the promise, the resolution of God's own son coming back. We're looking to walk with endurance, we read at the beginning. To walk with endurance in a different way than all the others who have come before us. That we may Receive the promise. Hebrews 10, 36, now 37. What's 37? For a little while. For yet a little while. Maintain your faith for yet a little while. And he who is coming, listen, will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by what? Faith. The just shall live by faith, and if anyone draws back, my soul, God says, has no pleasure in him. But, verse 39, all of us need to be this, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe, how far? To the saving of the soul. That means finally, and completely, and gloriously, after we patiently endured. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we pray, lead us not into the temptation that is so great that we would deny our faith, that we would fail to follow through on our belief with endurance to the end. Because we believe and we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray, increase our faith. We believe, but we want to endure in our belief and maintain and sustain our faith whether to victory or in defeat, knowing you will give the victory that overcomes the world. In Jesus' name we pray.